Lord, I was saying, isn't that amazing? Just that word picture of just the crimson flood washing over me. I mean, that just makes me want to weep. So thank you. And I just, um, and I just appreciate worship. I just, I just love going in there. If, um, if you haven't been with us for the last number of um, weeks, probably about a month and a half, we've been studying in the book of Titus. And I love the book of Titus. And this will probably be interesting doing this one-handed. So if you've got your Bible, go to um, the book of Titus. Whether you've got it in paper form or you've got it on your, your phone, or whether you've got an iPad or whether you're at home and you've got it on your computer, but go to Titus. I love the book. One of the things that I love about it is I love the size of it. I mean, it's kind of nice to have just three chapters to be able to get your mind wrapped around. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read completely through the book of Titus. I got to tell you, when we go through like Matthew or something like that, I don't read it completely all the way through when we go through something like that. So being part of Titus is just, just fascinating from that standpoint. It, it gives me an opportunity to be able to just look and go, okay, I can actually see this. I can see what, what he's trying to, to say there. The other thing I love about Titus is the fact that he... He talks about the gospel more than one time. Three times in the book of, of Titus, in three chapters, he talks about the, the, the gospel. And he also gives really practical applications of how to, live out the, how to live out the gospel. So if you're there in Titus chapter 3, let me um, start with verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenith the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you, and greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I want to just thank you for, for who you are. We lift your name up. And we are yours. And Lord, this morning as we look into your word, may your spirit just speak to us. Give us the words that we, want to be able, that we need to be able to hear. We just love you. We lift your name up because all glory and honor go to you and to you alone. Amen. All right. So just to put, um, just to kind of go back into Titus and put some things into context. Um, I know Drew did an excellent job the very first um, uh, week of this series putting it into context, but I'm going to kind of personalize it myself from a marriage standpoint because I've been married now for 37 years. Isn't that wonderful? Unbelievable. And yeah, I, de I definitely married somebody, I think Laura was really young at that point. There's no doubt, because she still does, she does not look like she um, could be married for 37 years. What was cool about it is the fact that she was beautiful. She was smart, she was kind, she was loving. Everything about her, I loved. 
And most of those things were actually really true. But you've heard, this, you've heard the saying, right? Love is blind. Like I remember, I actually thought that I liked shopping at that time. Right? Laura would say, hey, let's go shopping. And I'd go, absolutely. Because I thought that I liked shopping. But the reality is what I liked is I liked watching her looking at things. Love was kind of blind. But you've heard the other part of that is that if love is blind, marriage is an eye-opener. Because once we were married, went through this great honeymoon period of time, and then all of a sudden we realized we grew up different. We had things in our life that were different. That's not good or bad, it's just different. You know, for instance, I came from a really stable family. My mom and dad are still married. I don't even remember. I, no, when I, when I thought back, it was like, I didn't even know anybody that came from a divorced family. Laura on the other, other side, her father abandoned her and her family when she was 14 years old. Right at that pivotal moment in time where you really need a stable family. I grew up going to church every um, Sunday, but I wasn't a Christian. I learned a moral code that I needed to follow. I, the way I like to put it is, I could manage my sin quite nicely, thank you, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. Laura grew up in a Christian family, and she had a personal relationship with Christ. She went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays. She, she spent time in church. Conflict resolution. I don't ever remember my folks actually having an argument. Laura, she came a family came from a family where everything was an argument. I mean, it was loud. It was boisterous. You, you didn't have to worry what people were thinking. And when we got married, all of that comes together. And, it, and until we had an understanding of going, where did we come from? What does this look like? It was hard for us to move forward and grow together. But once we did... It was, it was fantastic because we made a foundation of a commitment to one another and we lived out a life of understanding. So that personalizes context. And if you remember, in Titus, Titus was on the island of Crete. And Crete, you know, was definitely a an island that was, was used to polytheism, which means multiple gods. I mean, there was Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite, and the Jew, Jewish people even were there. So there was just a, a plethora of things to be able to pick from. And if you were in one of these kind of cultural norms in a household, you actually kind of picked and choose which god you were going to follow on any given day or any situation. So you came from this, this context of, of, of something completely different than what we, we understand. 
It kind of reminds me back um, last summer when we looked through Acts, Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Athens. And as he was going through Athens, there was all these monuments to these gods. And then there was this one altar that said, to the unknown God. And Paul recognized that, and he took people through all these monuments of their gods, but then said, hey, this altar over here, of this unknown God, let me tell you about him. Because that's the true God that's above all. They were particularly fond of Zeus, because on the island of Crete, they claimed that Zeus which was the god of thunder, was actually born on that island. The thing that was, um, was interesting about Zeus is he was known for being a seducer and a liar. In other words, the end justified the means. They tried to accomplish something, and however they got there, as long as they got to the end, it didn't, mean, it didn't matter if you lied, you cheated, to be able to get there. So can you imagine the context now when Paul and Titus were there and they were setting up these churches to begin with and then Paul left and left Titus there. That's the context that they have. The people that they're talking with. And these are the people that when they're accepting Christ, they're coming into the church but they're still bringing in all of this information of where they came from. All this baggage that they came from came in with. So can you imagine how confusing it would be? And one of the things that's really important to, re to remember at this point is that there's so many times when we read God's word and we see the so-called enemy, we want to think they were really bad people. That it would be easy to be able to look at and say, well, that's the bad person and this is the good person. You know, I mean, Satan would be really easy to, to um, identify if you ran around with a pitchfork and a tail. He doesn't. These people that were in there, these people were their, your next door neighbors. These were the religious people of the day. These were the people that you went to for comfort. These are the people that, you know, when you had a birthday party for your, your child, children, you would invite them over to your house. This was normal. So this is the context that Titus is in. And we looked at, we looked at foundations. That was kind of even the name of the, the, um, the series. And there were many foundations. And I'm just going to kind of go through what I think are three that we can kind of categorize. The three basic foundations of this book is the, the grace of God, the gospel of God, and the gifts of God. First of all, the grace of God. It's that free, unmerited favor of God. Let's face it, this whole book is about the grace of God and our response to it. And the gospel of God, let me just read. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go through um, these things um, verse by verse. Because if you need to go back and actually um, watch the, the sermons, they're on the website but I, let, me just, let me just read three passages about the gospel. And I just want you to just, just listen to them and just hear the grace of God 
and the gospel of God in it. So in chapter one, verses one and two, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And then in chapter 2, he comes back to the gospel. In verses 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we may, might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then the gifts of God. You know, two things. One is, is that God's character is a major gift to us when you think about it. When you talk about that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, present everywhere, he is kind, he is loving, he is faithful. And in the context of this, he's not a liar. Not only is he not a liar, he's not even capable of lying. So in this context of where we are on the island of Crete, when everybody would lie, to be able to, to accomplish what they needed to accomplish for their family. Paul's going, no, no, no. No, you need to serve the God that is true and holy and just. He's not even capable of lying. The other major gift of, is God's word. I mean, think about it. I don't know how many times you think of this as just being a gift from God. His character and his word. I mean, going through this book of Titus, what's really cool is that there's just this practical application. It's almost a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, isn't that kind of cool? We're not left with, we're not left with what do we do with that? Thanks for saving us, Lord. Now what do I do? Or more importantly, in the context of being on Crete, you're kind of be how how can you go to somebody and be able to go, you know what, that's wrong? And you go, based on what? What's nice is we've got God's word when we sit down with people and they're going, why is that wrong? Why are you bringing that up to me? It's not based on who I am. Or the words that I can come up with, it's, it's based on God's word. That's powerful. In 2 Timothy, and I don't have a, a scripture on, the, on here, but 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verse 16. Real familiar. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's word is an incredible gift to us. And you heard it in some of those verses, but just I'm going to emphasize it again. It's not what we do. We can't work our way to God. We were separated from God, and it's only through his grace and his gospel that he actually reconciled to us. And just to emphasize that, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that cool? It's not that we get to boast, but it's just so cool to me that we actually get to be able to walk in the works that he's already put before us, he's prepared for us beforehand. We don't even have to conjure up the good works that he's got for us. He's already laid them out in front of us. We just need to walk in them. I mean, this book, this book ends up being, this is, this is not how you can live to become redeemed. This is how you live because you are redeemed. Just to give you a quick, kind of a quick overview of the first, first several um, messages in this thing. Drew started out, and I love the way he established authority. He has established the authority of God being above every other God. He established the authority of Paul to be able to write a letter so that his letter would be true, be trustworthy. And then he put an incredible contrast between the Christian life and the Cretan life and emphasized the gospel. And then Elvis came in the next, the next week and he looked at the qualifications for elders. Those were pretty high standards, weren't they? That he put forth. And then he kind of turned it on us and he said, these standards are not just for elders. They're for you and me. And you go, what? Because those are high standards. And what was really kind of cool is he's going, no, no, no. These are the standards that we get to walk in. And when somebody is appointed elder, we don't take them off to like eldering school. 
and say, hey, here, here's the things that you need to do as an elder. You actually find people that already are doing those things. I love how Drew, when he brought forth Leslie um, a couple months ago, one of the things he said is, he goes, you know what I appreciate about Leslie? He's already doing eldering. We should all be looking at that. And what's interesting is that last week we had this fantastic discussion about, about the standards. I don't know if you guys remember, um, one of the questions in Titus was, are elders perfect? Well, in our city group last week is when we finally got to that question. And of course, since I'm in the city group, it was really easy for everybody to go, uh, no. Can we move on from that? But the, the interesting conversation that took place after that is that you're going, so what's the remedy for when somebody doesn't meet those high standards? Because the world would generally say, and, and I would say even, even sometimes in here, myself, you hear somebody say, well, I'm not perfect. Or we don't expect, we don't expect perfection out of somebody. And when we discussed that, it was interesting because you're going, once you start going down that road, what you've done is you've taken this standard that's God's standard and you've lowered it. You've diminished it. You've justified it. And you've taken his standard and brought it down to where us humans can do that. But you know what? Here's the remedy. If you go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The remedy is not understanding that we can't make the standard. The remedy is when we don't meet the standard, we go to Christ. We recognize our failure. We recognize our sin. We confess our sin. And then we trust that God is going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's cool about that? is it keeps the standard of God high. But it also lifts him up even more. Because the grace keeps pouring out. And I don't know about you, I think that's pretty cool. Which makes you want to actually follow what he's saying. And then Leslie, chapter 2. I mean, that was, just, that was just like really cool. Leslie, you did an, you did an incredible job. Just of what does that look like in our, what's our Christian life look like? Inside the church, inside our households, you know, that older men should invest into younger men and older women should invest into to younger women. And then he said, adorn the doctrine. Do you remember that? 
In other words, make the doctrine beautiful. But what's doctrine? Well, we're going to start that next week, I believe. We're going to talk about doctrine. But it's really, it, at the simple core, it's what we believe. It's what we believe about God. It's what we believe about the gospel. It's what we believe about living out the gospel. So if it was a chart, it would actually be kind of a circular chart. As Leslie was putting it, you're going, you got to make the doctrine beautiful. But you make the doctrine beautiful by living out the doctrine. And the doctrine makes it beautiful, which then ends up making the doctrine beautiful. And remember where they are, they're at Crete. And it's important because what God's, God's not asking us to pull out of our culture. He's actually asking us to go into our culture and make his doctrine beautiful so that people want to follow us and want to ask the questions, what's different about you? Because it's not about us. It's about God's grace and his gospel. And then Drew took us for several weeks through the rest of chapter two and first part of chapter three. And he talked about that grace and the gospel and redemption. When God cleanses us, as it says in, in Titus, he says, makes us zealous for good deeds. Verse 14 of chapter 2. It makes us zealous because we look and we go, I bring nothing, he brings everything. That's just an incredible way to look at that. And then in chapter two, chapter 3, Drew just kind of went through the duties of the Christian life, especially in the marketplace. Because remember, God's not asking us to pull out. He's asking us to press in. He wants it, us to be part of the culture so that we can be a reflection of him. And then last week, he went through the good, the bad, and the ugly. We don't have the music for that? There you go, there you go. If you remember, this is oversimplified once again. Go to the website, listen if you missed it. This is the good, the gospel leads to good deeds. The bad, there's controversies, strife, and disputes. But he gave us how do we deal with that. And then he talked about the ugly. Those are people that refuse to be corrected that want to go their own way even when you're able to show them clearly what God's word says they still want to strike out themselves and God's word says let them go because even that's not up to us it's up to the Holy Spirit to prompt their heart 
All right. That brings us to today's passage. And it appears that, that Paul's kind of winding down his, his letter. You know, when you get kind of to the end, and I know, you know, some people feel that. It's like, okay, we're just going to wrap up a few um, loose ends, and then we're going to move on. But I want to tell you, this is just kind of actually engaging at this point. He set the stage with the gospel and the grace. And he's given us real practical on how to live it out. And in these last verses, he's going, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to be with you. And I've got a body of believers that are going to be with you. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this um, this passage again, and we're going to go through it a couple different times. But this first time, as I go through it, what I want you to what I want you to pick out is how many people or groups of people he references through this. So starting in verse twelve, it says when. I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. And all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. There's a lot of people packed into those, first, those four verses, isn't there? And if I put them into different groups, there's four, there's four main groups there. Number one, Paul. Paul was personally vested, but he was not present. He had been there before, but he was currently somewhere else. Scripture is not clear where he was. He talked about Nicopolis, but he talked about that he's going to go there. So whether he was there at that point or not, not clear. But he wasn't there. But yet he still prayed for, for the people in Crete. He still thought about them. He wrote them letters. He engaged with them. And the people in Crete accepted that. There are so many times when we want to just isolate ourselves. We cannot be isolated as a church. I mean, from a distance, he was teaching, encouraging. He was sending people. And this was all before Zoom. Can you imagine that? And then the second group, those included like Titus and Artemis and Tychicus and Zenith the lawyer and Apollos. These people were vested and they were present. But they were still not native. There was people that came and left. 
There's so many times us church leaders want to be so protective. We don't want to share our stage with anybody. We want to protect our sheep. But Paul's going, no, no, no. I want to send people to help because there's a bigger picture going on here. We don't know much about Artemis or, or Zenos, but we know quite a bit about Titus and Tychicus and Apollos. All through Paul's letters through the New Testament, he talks about these, these, um, these people. Because they were travel companions and trusted confidence of Paul. He talks about that they were beloved and mature and trustworthy. They were the type of people when they walked into a room, they brought peace and stability. The reason I know that is, is they, would send, they would send them out to even like the island of Crete that they knew that order needed to be set, which means that there were some things going on in those churches. These were trusted people, but they brought peace and stability, and they were humble, and they were servants. I'm just going to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just to kind of emphasize how humble and what kind of a servants, and what they thought, because can you imagine, can you imagine being one of Paul's posse? How cool would that be? My guess is no matter where you went, you said, yeah, I'm with Paul. You probably got ushered to the front. Myself, I'd probably start thinking pretty highly of myself. I'd go, yeah, I'm a friend of Paul's. I say that about Drew. It's amazing. I was going to say, get free food places. Just, just try it sometime. Friend of Drew's. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And this is, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And Apollos was with him. So not only is this the characteristics of Paul, this is the characteristics of Apollos, which I'm, which I'm, I'm going to make a general statement that each one of these men, these are the characteristics that Paul would look for. It says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written. In other words, what, what he's talking about there is he's saying, what I'm implying is that I'm not comparing myself against anybody. I'm not even comparing myself against myself. I'm only going to compare myself to what's written, what God's word is. In order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? And what, you, and what do you have that you did not receive? But if you had not received it, 
why do you boast? If you did receive it, why do you boast if you, as if you hadn't received it? In other words, everything about us is a gift. Every gift, every talent that we have, every experience that we have is a gift from God. The very breath that we breathe is a gift from God. Sometimes even the world gets it even more than we do. How many times are you sitting there, you're watching a sporting event or a musician or a dancer and even the world would say, they're gifted. They're gifted. Right? You've heard that before. Because they realize that no matter what kind of discipline that they've had, no matter how much hard work, there's something with those people that even the world says, they couldn't have done this themselves. And what we know is that God is the one that gave them the gifts. But it's not just the elite. It's everybody. Every single thing that's been given to us is a gift from God. And we need to walk in that. Who gets the credit? Well, God does. Because if he doesn't, what happens is we become self-centered. But if we have the right perspective, God is the one that gets, gets the credit. And we get to walk in the good works that he's set before us. You can't lose that. The next two groups, back in chapter 3 of Titus, in verse 14, it talked about our people. which are the people on the island of Crete. Those are the believers. Lots of believers. And then in verse 15, it talked about who are with me. It's the believers with Paul. So we had all these different groups of people in these verses. And that's really important for us to understand because some of the observations are is we need people, don't we? I mean, men need men. Women need women. Leaders need other leaders. When we think we can take on the ministry ourselves, we have just put ourselves in a vulnerable position. We have got to come from a sense of dependence on God. And God responds by going, my grace is sufficient for you. And part of that is, I'm going to provide other people to come into your life. You don't have to do it on your own. We've got, a, we've got a mantra around here that we're a family of families. Right? We're families, but we're a family. And we've got to engage like we're families. 
being a lone ranger is, is dangerous. It's easy to get picked off if you're the one that's all by yourself. We need to encourage one another. Go back into Ephesians, and I don't have this on the screen. Just to emphasize in chapter 2, verse, verse 19 and 20. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Isn't that cool? We're part of God's household. <laughs> we're not just part of this family, we're part of God's family. Having been built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Talk about foundations. When Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of that foundation. Not only is he the cornerstone, he's the whole foundation. This last um, year, I don't know about you guys. No, I do know about you guys. It's been a hard year. Let's just face it. It's been hard. COVID has been difficult. As a matter of fact, I've gotten to the point where, um, where if I ask somebody, you know, how this past year was, and they say, fine. I pray for them. Because there's none of us that have gone through what we went through in this last year. When we had to be isolated. When we couldn't even come to church. And then, do we come to church? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? I mean, do you, just so many things. I mean, even in our families, there was divisions. People thinking differently. It was hard. It was kind of like, you know, those people that say, no, it was just fine. It's kind of like if I had a little, my grandson. If he would walk up to the stove and he'd put his hand on a hot burning stove and he wouldn't scream, you would go, something's wrong with him. You'd take him to the doctor. And you go, he doesn't, he doesn't feel pain. That's the sense that I get for this last year. It's okay to recognize that it's been hard it's been difficult. And I'm so proud of this body because they've, they've, they've played out this whole mantra of the family of families. People have cared for one another. People have reached out for one another. People that haven't been able to come out, get out, people have, have reached in. I want to speak to the people that are online for a minute. Because I'm proud of you. Because you've been engaged. Because we need people. We need to be engaged. And you've been engaged, even though you may not be here. There are people that are engaging in God's word. Through prayer. You're engaging in one another. Whether you're involved in the city groups. I mean, you've been Zooming and emailing, and texting, and phone calls, and notes. 
I mean, what we've done is we've, in the last year, we've kind of had a lot of our preconceived notions of what church should look like completely shattered. And if it hasn't, we got some work to do. Because there's a variety of reasons why people are not here in person, they're still at home. And we need to support that. And I'm proud of them for continuing to engage. Because I'm also going to give a caution for the people that are here. I don't want you to get lulled into thinking that just because you're in proximity of one another, that you're engaged. It is so easy to be able to walk in here on a Sunday and sit down, listen to fantastic worship, listen to God's word, and still not be engaged with people. We gotta support one another. We gotta lift one another up. If you're not part of a city group, you need to be involved in a city group. There's, a, there's so many reasons why it's important for us to be involved. But the most important is, is God's word models it for us. And if God's word models it for us, we need to be part of what God's part of. All right. There's a couple more points that I wanna, I wanna bring out in the verses from, from 12 to 15. Go to verse 14. It's very interesting. It says, and let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may be fruit, unfruitful, that they may not be unfruitful. find this interesting, engaging in good, good deeds, it says that we need to learn to engage. Because remember, this would be foreign to people on Crete. And these good deeds, I mean, in Titus, it was mentioned six times of good deeds. So this must be more than just even financial. It's your physical, spiritual, emotionally. It's when we need to learn of good deeds to meet pressing needs. We've got to have our eyes opened. What are the pressing needs are around? We've got, we got to be diligent. And what's interesting is when it talks about pressing needs, it's probably not talking about long term. It's like, who's hurting right now? Who needs us to press into those needs? It assumes, that, it assumes that we're looking for people to press into. It assumes that we're putting ourselves into a position, whether it's because we're employed and we're living beneath our needs, so that we actually, when we see that need, we can press into it. How many times do we live beyond our means? We live paycheck to paycheck, and so when a pressing need comes up on us, we don't have a capacity to do anything about it. 
And remember, if it's a gift, everything that's been given to us is a gift. It makes us hard not to give away. It says that they do not be unfruitful. And you can talk about fruitful as far as like say the the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no doubt that's part of the fruitfulness. But the fruitfulness that he's talking about here is the Great Commission, gospel-centered, disciple-making fruit that he's talking about here. And I find it interesting that he puts it in the negative. In other words, he says that they may not be unfruitful, he could have said that they may be fruitful. Could have been put in the positive. But if he does that, that kind of assumes then that you have a choice of not being fruitful. That it's okay not to be. But he puts it in the negative and he says that they may not be unfruitful. What he's saying is, is that it's, it's not an option for you just to coast. You need to engage. You need to be fruitful. Being apathetic is not an option. We need to be fruitful. Verse 15. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And grace be with you all. Man, I love this. I mean, just picture this for a minute. Here's Paul. He's writing this letter. But he's saying, all who are with me greet you. You know what's kind of cool about that? And I'm going to kind of take a, I'm going to, um, I'm going to take some liberties here. Um, so I got to be really careful. Is I'm just picturing Paul writing this letter. So many times we think, at least I do, I think of when Paul writes a letter from God, he's probably off on some mountaintop somewhere, he's all alone, and it's God speaking. And, he's, and he comes down kind of with this tablet, so to speak. Here's God's word. But picture this for a minute. Can you imagine if they were in a room together? That all these people, like he says... All who are with me greet you. I mean, Zenith was probably there. Apollos was there because they were probably the ones that actually took the letter, right? And can you imagine Paul writing? And maybe even Zenith was the one that was actually doing the writing, but Paul was dictating it. But can you imagine you're sitting around and you're kind of going, no, 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 Paul, put this in it. They need encouragement. Make sure that you encourage them. Put something in there about encouragement. And put something in there about the gospel because it's about the gospel. Remember that, Paul? And then he puts it in there. And somebody else says, no, 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 put more in there about the gospel because it's about him. It's about the grace. And then when they get the letter done, it's kind of like if it, was, if it was us, you know what we'd probably do? We'd probably pray over the letter. We'd pray over the people that were going to be taking it. And we'd be praying that they'd have safe passage. And that God's word would be delivered to the people that need to be delivered. Because these are like-minded people. They were connected to the people in Crete already. 
And they understood the power of the gospel and the grace. Because it ends with grace be with you all. Remember, this is the foundation. Because Titus had an enormous task in front of him, and he knew that he could not do it alone. He could not do it with the, without the grace of God. Because remember, the grace is the free, unmerited favor of God. This is the grace that saves, the grace that teaches, the grace that strengthens, the grace that enables, the grace that transforms our hearts and our minds. This is the grace that delivers the gospel. Scripture teaches us that, well, we were yet sinners. We were dead in our trespasses. It says, no, not one of us sought after him. God sent his son to die for us. And this was no ordinary death. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was spit upon. It says that he was beaten beyond recognition. And then he was nailed to the cross. And he was lifted up to be crucified. And as he was there, they were casting lots for his clothing. And they were mocking him saying, if you can save others, you can save yourself. And yet he chose not to save himself, but he chose to die for the very people that nailed him to the cross. And they put him in a tomb, and after three days, he rose again. He defeated death for us. He died for our sins so that we could be redeemed and spend eternity with him because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's grace. It's the free, unmerited favor of God. So I want to close with these questions for you this morning. What do you bring from your past that you're still dealing with? That you feel comfortable with? And you're not letting it go over to God? Or are you lowering God's standards so that we feel better about ourselves? And are we engaging with God and with others. Let me pray. Lord, I want to just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your gospel. Lord, we thank you for putting us in a family of families. Help us just love one another. Encourage one another. Lift one another up. Lord, I lift you up because you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. And all glory and honor go to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.